I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. I pray that you had a pleasant and enjoyable Thanksgiving, or at the very least, I pray that you have recovered from it by now. There's an interesting phenomenon that happens when families get together, even if they haven't been together in a very long time. Everyone kind of finds their role again. You know, if you are around your siblings again, and maybe you watch your, your spouse get around their siblings, and all of a sudden, you don't recognize your, your spouse anymore. It's like, what what has gotten into you? And what's happened is that that spouse has now fallen into that traditional role that they had in the family pecking order back when everyone was living under the same roof. We revert in our way of interacting with one another to, uh, to the way that we used to be, even if that's a way of interacting that we don't like, even if it's uh, something that causes us distress, everyone tends to find those similar roles again. We're getting into autopilot. Uh, I was, uh, as I was preparing for the show today and looking at Advent, I came across this very specific story that has nothing to do with Advent, except it has everything to do with Advent. Uh, it came from May of 2018, and someone was in their Tesla, their, their vehicle that had autopilot, and as they were in this autopilot Tesla, they got distracted by the radio or some other uh, little gizmo or gadget or phone call or whatever. And they were on autopilot, so there was no problem until all of a sudden they ran into a stopped police car, right? <laughs> if you're going to have an accident, you don't want to run into a stopped police car. Uh, but here this driver was relying on autopilot to safely navigate and it did not do its job. Well, that's the same thing that happens to us when we get into autopilot. Uh, we, we have this way of being, this expectation that everything's going to go smoothly, and we don't pay as careful attention. We get moving a little too fast, and all of a sudden, calamity strikes. Uh, maybe it's a, a fight that breaks out, or maybe it's just getting so consumed by the distractions of life that you miss the things that are really important. And so here, right at the end of the year, we have, right at the end of the calendar year, we have the beginning of the liturgical year. And the very first reading that we get, which we'll read a little bit later, uh, famously says, stay awake. And there's this understanding that the church gives us and that the scripture gives us that it's very easy for us to go on to autopilot, to get consumed by the minutia of our day and to miss the things that really matter. And so here the season of Advent comes along and it says to you and to me, stay awake, pay attention, turn off the autopilot and engage your spirit, engage your senses and be a part of what's going on right now. Be present to this moment. And so the church takes us through the anticipation of two events. The first event is actually chronologically the later one. That's the one that you and I are still waiting for. It takes us through 
anticipation and longing and waiting and watching for the second coming of Jesus Christ. That thing that we say in the creed every week, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So the church here in these first two weeks of Advent starts us out looking at the second coming, longing for that time when all creation will be redeemed, when Christ will come back and set all things right with the world. If you've listened to the show over the years, you, you know I have this formula for Advent and for Lent. Advent starts us out saying, all is not right with the world. I look around and I see the injustice and corruption and everything else that's going on, and I say, that things can't continue this way. All is not right with the world. We cannot stay on autopilot. And the answer to that is Christ comes to us incarnationally. God became man for the sake of our redemption and for the sake of, uh, of the healing of the nations. And so then Lent, of course, is when we take a, a closer look internally at our own heart and say, all is not right with me. I see the sin. I see the injustice internally. And so I need a solution to that. And that solution, of course, comes to us through Easter, through the resurrection. But here we are, there is injustice in the world, and our readings are showing us this as we go through these first couple of weeks. Uh, our mass readings are showing us the problems with society, the injustice, the suffering, and so much more. And so we turn and we say, our Lord Jesus, come quickly, Maranatha. And then we turn our attention in the second two weeks of Advent to more explicitly focus on the Incarnation on the fact that, yes, we are waiting for the redemption of all all creation, but that redemption has already begun, that Christ did come, and he came in the form of a helpless child, and he came to show us and to provide for us God's love and God's mercy. And so this is a very important time for us to get off of autopilot, to resist doing Advent as we've always done Advent, to resist falling into the, the traditions that we have uh, as a society merely because they're traditions, and to be intentional as we progress towards Christmas. So this is an opportunity here at the very beginning as all of the Christmas music begins to play on the radio to ask yourself, is my celebration of Advent and Christmas something that I do because of my faith, or is it something that I just fall into because it's what I've always done? I encourage you to take the time to make this Advent an intentional time of preparing for the coming of Christ in your life. We're going to dive more in depth with this as we talk with Joe Heschmeyer about Advent and the eschaton, Advent and the end of all days. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to hear about how you're preparing for Christmas this year. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
And as we talked about earlier, we are tomorrow entering into uh, the first Sunday of Advent. And this is another one of those fun years where it's not really four weeks of Advent because you have the fourth Sunday of Advent and then three days later, there you are, you're at Christmas. So we have just a set amount of time for us to spend time focusing on and reflecting on what it means for us to be waiting for Christ. Uh, You know, all the stores, they've already pulled out their Christmas decorations, but not us. We're still focusing on what it means for us to be anticipating the coming of Christ. But the church here in these first two weeks of Advent is wanting us to focus not on the coming of Christ you're thinking of, but on the end of all days as we wait for, just, you know, last week we celebrated Christ the King. Well, we're waiting for that to be fully realized. That's our desire, uh, is that, that Christ would be King and all things would be subject to him, not only in our own lives, like we talked about last week, but manifested throughout all the political structures, all the everything that is. And so here the church is giving us this time to recognize, one, that it's not happened yet, and two, to uh, express our longing for that. So today, as we explore this topic of anticipating the return of Christ and the kingdom of God, we're going to talk with our favorite guest, Joe Heschmeyer. He's a, an instructor at the Holy Family School of Faith out in Kansas City, Kansas. You can find out more information about them by going to schooloffaith.com. He also blogs over at shamelesspopery.com and um, has a Catholic podcast that you can find at cathpod, C-A-T-H-P-O-D.com. Joe, thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure. So you have a new perspective on what it means to wait for an arrival. <laughs> yes, I do especially a long-awaited one. Right. My daughter was due November 1st and finally showed up November 13th. So you are catching me uh, maybe a little more semi-coherent than usual, (laughs) but hopefully listeners will be uh, merciful given that it's it's my innocent child's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, there's so much we can blame on our kids, specifically in these (laughs) early days. Uh, but you you now have, and I, I just really believe that the first few weeks of being a parent is all it takes for your whole, not, you know, people say your whole world is going to change, and that's true, um, but your whole perspective shifts. All of a sudden, this new mantle and this new role that you have, you begin to look at the world through the eyes of faith for the future, and I think it really helps us inform our Christian uh, understanding as we live the life as fathers. Uh, so with that in mind, let's take a look at uh, the, the theological term is the eschaton, the end of all days. What is the church inviting us to contemplate and to reflect and to long for here in this early bit of Advent? Yeah, so uh, you kind of alluded to this, but Advent means coming. It's it's waiting for the arrival. And it's there's basically two mini seasons in Advent. It's funny because Advent's the shortest of all the seasons of the liturgical year. And uh, it's actually divided in half. And it's basically two two-week seasons. And the second one is, as you mentioned, not even a full two weeks long. So the last two weeks of Advent are what we normally associate with Advent, which is preparation for the first coming of Christ, preparation for the nativity, getting ready for Christmas. And that is really important, obviously. But the first half of Advent 
is kind of a bridge. You know, you just mentioned we just came off of the Feast of Christ the King, um, and we're going into preparation for for Advent in the in the sense of preparing for Christmas. The first two weeks of Advent are all about preparing for the second coming of Christ. So we do second coming first, and then we do first coming. And they're purposely paired together like this, I think because uh, when Jesus came first at Christmas, he took the world by surprise, that all but a few people um, weren't expecting him. He came to a city, Bethlehem, that wasn't prepared for him, to places that were too filled up uh, with the goings-on of the day to be able to even handle his birth, and so he was born in a manger. And there's a message in there for us. Um, as we prepare for the second coming of Christ, well, A, are we preparing in any meaningful sense at all? B, are we too busy? Is our end too full uh, to handle Christ's arrival in it? And uh, C, I think we should at least be cognizant of the fact that he's going to take the world by storm in his second coming. That he, we will be just as surprised mm-hmm. when he comes. And, and he gives several par- parables uh, to that effect. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think of as we look at, as I mentioned, since October, we've had Christmas decorations at all the stores. Uh, so far, I don't know how I pulled it off, but I've not heard any Christmas music yet. Um, and, and I truly don't know how that's happened. But once Thanksgiving hits, all the Christmas music is going to come out. And so most of the time we spend Advent as we get carried along by the cultural currents um, preparing for the excitement of Christmas. And there's this sense of um, building anticipation of joy. And the church is really inviting us in, and they, we see that uh, signified with the purple vestments and and a few other uh, visual cues that were given during the season of Advent. We're invited into a, sentence, uh, a series of um, days of penitence, to really do an examination of conscience and to look like you were saying, am I too busy? Are the things in my world going to crowd out the Christ child? And and I don't know that we spend enough time really taking a close look at ourselves and at the world around us uh, because we're so busy getting ready for the joy of opening presents or even maybe the joy of going to Mass. We don't really give, I think, this season the the appropriate reflection that that really we're called to yeah so there's a few things (laughs) there's a few things there worth saying the first is there is a penitential aspect to the advent season now let's be very clear advent is not a penitential season in the way that lent is instead advent is a season of preparation Mm -hmm. so imagine it this way if you knew christ was going to physically come to your house at christmas what kind of things would you do to prepare for them? You know, think about all the ways you clean up for a guest arriving and, and everything, you know, related to that. If you know there's a guest arriving at an uncertain time, you know, they don't have a cell phone, they're not going to be able to tell you the exact day and time they're going to get there. You'd probably work to make sure your house was in order for whenever they arrived. And so it is, hopefully, with our souls. that We know at some point Jesus is going to return to meet us, or we're going to depart this world to meet him. And we should make sure the interior house is well kept mm-hmm. and uh, it's in order so that we are ready uh, to meet him. And so we can think of this in terms of him being a Christmas visitor. We can also think of this in the very real sense that he's going to come at the end of the world. 
which is why, I mean, hopefully you can see there, it makes sense why Advent has these two aspects of uh, being ready for Christmas and being ready for the eschaton, because it really is the same story in two different ways. I, I think related to that, there's a line at the end of the creed that we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And it's worth prayerfully examining, am I lying every time I pray the creed? Hmm. Is that something I look forward to or is that something I dread? Because certainly culturally, if I say it's not the end of the world, what do I mean? I mean, it's not terrible. Right. <laughs> if, we're, if we're talking about the end of the world is like, oh, no, we don't want that to happen. That's a huge red flag. If we're saying we are definitely not ready for the second judgment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, let's or second coming and final judgment. We should, we should get ready. Yeah. You know, St. Paul is able to pray uh, Maranatha anathema, come Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, he is praying for the apocalypse and we should be in a place where we're like, I can't wait to die and be with Christ. I can't wait for him to return in glory I look forward to the resurrection of the dead. If we're not in that place, this is a great season to wake up and say, what do I need to do to get more prepared for that? Well, and there is really this strong sense of memento mori, right? Let's remember our death and live in light of our death. Is our house in order? Uh, I think of the, the song, that the hymn that we tend to think of as a Christmas hymn, but it's really an Advent hymn, this joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. We think, oh yeah, let, let us receive him in the manger. But no, it says, he rules the world with truth and love and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love, right? This is talking about the eschaton. And one of those key lines in there, and I think that this is the line for us this, this Advent, is let every heart prepare him room. Mm. What do we have in our heart that is clogging up the works, as it were? Uh, how how clean is our life? And is there room for Christ the King, that we talked about last week, to really establish his rule and reign in the midst of our own hearts? And that's a that's a rough thing to do. And you know, there's I think that's where the penitence comes in because we have to have some humble honesty about that question in order for us to really prepare for what, what Advent is offering us. Yeah. So I'm going to steal this from my boss, Mike Shearslick at School of Faith. And I don't know, I'm sure he's stealing this from someone else. I don't know who he's stealing it from. So I can only do the, the middle citation. <laughs> uh, but his line is always just that Christ can only fill a heart that's empty. Mm -hmm. And this is the not a doctrine of St. John of the Cross, that Christ wants to fill your heart with his divine love and you keep it too full, so either you empty it, or he might lovingly empty it for you, yeah. and it's not going to feel good when he does that. When you're holding on to a bunch of things, and he takes them away so he can open up your hands and your heart to receive, you will have the experience of loss with that. That's just the nature of, you know, so either you let go, or you, you risk having him kind of pull it out of your hands. Well, and let's talk about that, because even if you don't experience that in this world, that is the entire point of the doctrine of purgatory. Exactly. So in the book of Revelation, it says that nothing impure can enter uh, the kingdom of God. Nothing impure can enter heaven. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we 
water that down to say, well, as long as you're good enough. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, one of the most insane aspects of American Christianity and modern Christianity more broadly. Uh, it's the idea that I'll go to heaven if I'm basically a good person. Now, I think it's appropriate when someone says that to say, do you think you deserve the Medal of Honor? You know, for the <laughs> Because if they say no, then if they realize the ridiculousness of being given some sort of national prestige and honor for the life they've led, then hopefully they can see the absurdity that they would somehow deserve eternal glory in heaven for the same mediocrity that they would be embarrassed to be rewarded for here on earth. Right. Uh, that No, you don't deserve heaven. If, by the grace of God, you somehow make it into heaven despite your mediocrity, Christ will make sure when you enter into eternal glory, you are pure. And the more stuff you're holding on to, uh, the more painful that process is going to be of purgation. Yeah. There's that that line in Scripture, He, Christ, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to bring it to completion on that day, right? That day is always associated with judgment. And so we know that God is going to build us into worthy vessels. It's our choice whether we do that now or whether we wait a little too long. Let's take this season of Advent and spend time preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ our King. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. Find his blog over at shamelesspopery.com or his podcast at cathpod.com. And don't go anywhere. There's much more to this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L., Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And what are the implications that associate with Advent? Well, the implication is that Christ will return. That, and, and in some ways, uh, it, that's, that's a misnomer, because Christ, yes, he will return in glory, but Christ is still with us. We have him in the Eucharist. We has, have his presence We have his guidance through the Holy Spirit. As he said, unless I go away, I cannot send the advocate. And so we we are still accompanied by Christ, but there will be a day where that is made explicitly manifest and unable to be ignored by anyone in the world, not just those who have faith. Uh, And so as we look toward that day, as we wait for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, as we put our house in order and in our hearts prepare him room— uh, well, there are some steps that we need to go through to get to that place. And we're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He's an instructor at the Holy Family School of Faith in Kansas City, Kansas, although they have many locations. You should go look them up at schooloffaith.com. Uh, Joe, let's talk a little bit about what does it look like for us to change the way we do Advent? Uh, no more, well, I'm not saying you have to get rid of this, but uh, no more just relying on the little boxes with chocolate inside that we pull out and get a little treat every day, right? No, there's there's some serious work that needs to be done here spiritually for us to truly worthily prepare. And, you know, we think, oh, I don't want to do anything that's that's uh, down. It's a, it's a happy season. Well, the joy of Christmas is made more fully manifest and more fully realized 
by doing this good and serious work in this earlier season. So let's talk about some of those practical steps. What are, what are some, uh, get your hands dirty kind of work that we can do spiritually as we move towards Christmas? So I'll just say, I do like some of the happy kind of preparation reminders, you know, <laughs> Advent candles are beautiful. Uh, Advent calendars often are free candy. Like that's, that's all great. And so we don't want Advent to feel like toil or treasury, mm-hmm. drudgery. So it is good that it is joyous expectation, but it is still expectation and preparation. Uh, and so in that sense, you want to couple that with some some serious soul searching. I would say prayer around the question of where is the end to full in my life uh, would be really fruitful. And there's a reason that almost every diocese offers Advent penance services. There's a reason that hopefully um, when you take this kind of opportunity to pray, you come to a place where you realize that you need to go to confession, that you need to probably get right with God in a deeper way. Um, and it takes, in addition to those things, it's, it also takes a, a good deal of intentionality. It's very easy in a culture that already thinks it's Christmas to get caught up in the hustle and bustle and to immediately act like it's Christmas time. Um, you know, a lot of Christmas parties are happening. A lot of things that are allegedly celebrating a season that it isn't yet will have begun by two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have the intentionality to say, this is still Advent. And to take that season seriously for what it is so that you can prepare for Christmas. I mean, honestly, like one of the big ways to prepare for Advent is just to celebrate Advent yeah. instead of just immediately jumping into Christmas because the secular world's Christmas season ends on December 25th. Right. And that's exactly when ours begins. Like the 12 days of Christmas, day one is the 25th. It's not day 12. Right. Or in this case, day 60 or whatever. <laughs> we um, we do a couple of things. One, we move our stockings from Christmas Day. We do them on the 6th, right? We're going to give you a little presents. We're going to talk about St. Nicholas. We're going to do some joyous things, but we're going to separate it from that idea of what Christmas is. Now, this is something that works for our family. It's not something that that the rest of you need to necessarily do. Uh, but then we, every night for bedtime, we read the readings of the day uh, from the Mass, and we light the Advent candles. And that's our Compline, as it were, Uh every night and then the kids have to go to bed in silence and it's joyous for the parents that, you know, there's <laughs> that, I don't think that's going to work as well as my uh, one week old baby. No, not so much. And you're, of course you're preparing for your very first Christmas with a new parent as a new parent. And if I could give you one piece of advice, get a used toy. Mm. You know, we, we, with when we have multiple kids and so it's like, okay, uh, we've got this new baby. Let's go to the closet and find the thing for them to be able to unwrap that we already own. We're not adding anything new to the house. Just going to throw that piece of advice out. That's genius. Uh, yeah, I know there's the kind of the uh, the stereotype, and I've seen this play out where you buy the expensive kid, the expensive toy for the kid, and they just play with the box. Yep. So, there's definitely, I think, honestly, directly related to what we're talking about, resisting the spirit of materialism, which is a counter spirit to the spirit of Christ. Ultimately, there's going to be one Lord of this season, and it's going to be either the capitalist version of Santa Claus, or it's going to be Jesus Christ. And they can't both rule. Like, you cannot serve both God and Mammon this Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's Advent. Like, 
so that question of which season are we in? Are we in Mammon's Spirit of Christmas, where it's just about, all about commercialism for the next 25 days? Or are we in Christ's Spirit of Advent, where we prepare for his coming? It's a, ser- a season, is a penitential streak to it. Um, you can't do both. Mm-hmm. You know, it, those two are just kind of uh, diametrically opposed. Well, and I would say that it, it is a difficult decision to not just be carried along with the the traditions that we grew up with. You know, it, it's not just that everyone around us does them. It's that we did these things growing up and well, I turned out okay, we might say to one another. And so there is the sense of how can I instill in my children uh, a, a greater sense of the true joy of Christmas uh, as opposed to just that Christmas movie that says the true joy of Christmas is Jesus. Now they go, go by your presence, right? I mean, the, how do we still celebrate the day with some sense of the joy of Christmas that we want to recapture for our kids without, one, going into serious debt, uh, or two, uh, it, well, going into serious debt spiritually, right? One way or the other. Yeah. So, you know, I'll give an example. I've got uh, extended family that lives in Germany, and I spent Christmas with them, uh, and I spent Easter with them one year. And watching how they celebrated both of those holidays, it wasn't about a bunch of toys. They would do like a really nice family dinner. Nice in a way kids will enjoy, not nice in a way that like kids will ruin. Um, They did a nice meal in in a sense that the whole family would really enjoy it with delicious food and everything was very well beautifully put together. But it wasn't super expensive as far as I can tell. Um, And it wasn't super materialistic in terms like here's some more plastic gadgets it was really built around going to mass and then really celebrating with one another in a way that built up family and built up kind of a sense of the spirit of the day um, that we're celebrating the arrival of Christ and not just an occasion to buy the latest and greatest thing. Cause you know, we talk about family traditions and I, I agree that it's something we have to look critically at, but I think if we're being honest, we're not even in the same position that we were when we were growing up or our parents were when they were growing up in terms of materialism. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things with, if if you grew up in a family where you gave a lot of gifts on Christmas, chances are you weren't getting a bunch of gifts throughout the year. But now for most families, Christmas is just another occasion to pile up the plastic crud in the house because it's been going on 12 months a year. You know, like every day is Christmas right. uh, in that materialist sense. So, uh, the, the rate of consumption has gotten so high that it, it just, it like, it's not enjoyable. Right. It isn't enjoyable to have one more day of trying to consume more and consume more and consume more. And we see that even in terms of like depression right around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's this, it's the, the whole idea of the pot warming up slowly so that you don't notice it. Well, the way that we have begun to consume things uh, is, is at such an increased rate from, even when I was a kid, which doesn't feel all that long ago, but I was looking and saying, you know what, it's going to be 2020 uh, in just a couple of weeks, which means that 2000 Y2K was 20 years ago, people. And all of a sudden I, I do feel a little bit older, but, but just in that small amount of time, um, our culture has, has done a pretty dramatic shift on the way that we, way that we consume things. Yeah, 2000 was actually more than half my lifetime ago. Uh, and if that isn't enough to make you feel bad, there are now kids in college who were born in the year 2000. Yeah, that's, so, 
<laughs> it has accelerated quite a bit. But yeah, if you look at the rates of consumption, it is mad. And it's, it's getting worse and it shows no signs of abating. And uh, you don't need a ton of studies to realize that the universal consensus is this doesn't actually make kids happier. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make adults happier. And so it's like we're continually throwing the same solution, more stuff, uh, at a problem of an interior emptiness that can only be filled by Christ. And so Christ wants to come into our hearts and finds it's full of plastic garbage. You keep bringing up plastic, and I want to sit on that for a second, because there is the sense that uh, the gadgets that we buy now, yeah, we, we get toys for our kids and such, but these things that even are on the market today are created with a planned obsolescence. All yeah. of the gadgets that we get are made to be consumed and then discarded. Uh, and and so things don't last like they used to either. And so now we're ending up really having to reflect on that line, let every heart prepare him room, let heaven and nature sing. Is our celebration of, of Christmas, our celebration of Advent, something that's going to allow nature to sing? Now, you know, some people are up in arms a little bit about um, the ecological sins that look like they're going to be added to the catechism. But the truth of the matter is, we do have a responsibility, just like Adam, to tend the garden. And at the very least, we have to ask, are the choices that we're making today really consistent with historical Christianity and, and the basis of our faith? Or are we trying to baptize our our current consumer attitude and mindset uh, as a way to justify those actions. And so I do think that it's important as we're examining our own hearts and preparing room for Christ here to say, am I being a faithful steward of the things of the garden that I've been given? Uh, and that sometimes will change even our buying habits of the of the things that we buy for our children. Yeah, there's actually an entire rich theology of creation and stewardship in Scripture that I think— um, quite frankly, American conservative Catholics have often uh, had a bit of a blind spot too. I I lived in Europe for three years, and it was interesting just seeing the difference in how Orthodox Catholics, I don't mean people who are primarily left-wing and then happen to call themselves Catholic. I mean Orthodox Catholics uh, in Europe versus in the States. There's much more of a sense that, you know, we need to take environmentalism in in a Christian sense seriously here. Because, right, like, go through the lives of the saints and how many of them just like like massively consumed and massively destroyed the environment around them. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's worth asking, well, why didn't they like, what was their approach and and why did they have that approach to it? Uh, So I think that it's good cause this Christmas to consider how we're consuming. We also, as we're talking about Advent and the eschaton, Paul says, all creation groans waiting for its redemption. That's that second coming of Christ as he who has already redeemed us through his cross is one day going to completely undo the fall in in every aspect and redeem creation as well. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. Find him over at shamelesspopery.com and cathpod.com. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our reading from Scripture and Church History and take a closer look at this idea of Advent and the eschaton. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today we've been talking about Advent and the eschaton, what it means for us as we look at Advent in light of Christ's second coming. Uh, Today we've been talking with Joe Heschmeyer, who's an instructor at the Holy Family School of Faith in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and also has a a blog over at shamelesspopery.com and a podcast at cathpod.com. We've had Joe on the show a number of times, and I always appreciate his insights. And your friends will, too, when you share this week's episode with them on social media. Just go to OutsideTheWalls.com, find this week's episode, which will be right at the top of the page, and click share, uh, maybe start a conversation with them about looking at Advent in a different light. There's more to my conversation with Joe that is available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Each and every week, we record an extra segment with our guests that we give away to all those who keep us on the air. And you can be a part of that number simply by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the link in the top right-hand corner of the page. Uh, It says, support the show, hyphen Patreon. And there's a number of different levels at which you can support the show that give various rewards and benefits back to you. For as little as $5 a month, that's the price of one cup of coffee, Over the whole course of the month, you get weekly extra segments. So as we roll over into this new liturgical year and this new year of of episodes, we're beginning our sixth year of being on the air, why don't you come over and take a look at some of the segments that are there for free to give you an idea of what kinds of things we talk about in our Patreon segments and consider becoming a part of that support community. But for now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from tomorrow's Gospel, out of the Gospel of Matthew, where we read this. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away so will it be also at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So too you also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. That reading comes from tomorrow's Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. And it's so easy to be lulled to sleep, to be uh, distracted by our, by our habits, by our smartphones, by uh, scrolling through Facebook or Twitter, through binge-watching our favorite show, or or even if you get outside of entertainment, um, by uh, making all our appointments, by making sure that we get our kids to all of the things that we've signed them up for, whether it be sports or dance or uh, extracurricular activities of any kind. It's so easy to get focused on the minutia of the day and all of the things we have to get done that we miss the fact that Christ is coming again. We miss the important work of examining our souls and realizing that Christ is coming back. He is returning, 
And when he returns, we must be found faithful. This gets back to that idea of memento mori. Remember that you're going to die. There was someone in my parish who was uh, out with his uh, with his spouse, and they were riding bikes, and he had an accident. And one day he was here, and he was healthy, and he was uh, participating in the things that are the good life, and the next day he was gone. Uh, and, and so we have to keep in mind that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And so we have to stay awake, as we are exhorted to do in this gospel from the first Sunday of Advent. We have to realize that there are so many things that are trying and vying for our attention. It takes extraordinary effort and intention for us to keep our eyes fixed on what really matters. And so as we begin Advent and we have the the Christmas lists and the what do you want for Christmas, I encourage you to make another list as well. What are the things in my life that I need to really look at and prioritize in order to be ready for the eschaton? Not just ready for Christmas, but ready for the day that Christ comes. Our reading from Church History is a catechetical instruction by St. Cyril of Jerusalem, and it continues this idea and this message of being ready for that end of days. We do not preach only one coming of Christ, but a second as well, much more glorious than the first. The first coming was marked by patience. The second will bring the crown of a divine kingdom. In general, whatever relates to our Lord Jesus Christ has two aspects. There is a birth from God before the ages and a birth from a virgin at the fullness of time. There is a hidden coming like that of a rain on fleece, and a coming before all eyes, still in the future. At the first coming, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. At his second coming, he will be clothed in light as in a garment. In the first coming, he endured the cross, despising its shame. In the second coming, he will be in glory, escorted by an army of angels. We look then beyond the first coming and await the second. At the first coming, we said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the second, we shall say it again. We shall go out with the angels to meet the Lord and cry out in adoration, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Savior will not come to be judged again, but to judge those by whom he was judged. At his own judgment, he was silent. Then he will address those who committed the outrages against him when they crucified him and will remind them, you did these things and I was silent. His first coming was to fulfill his plan of love, to teach men by gentle persuasion. This time, whether men like it or not, they will be subjects of his kingdom by necessity. Malachi the prophet speaks of the two comings. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. That is one coming. Again, he says of another coming, Look, the Lord Almighty will come, and who will endure the day of his entry? Or who will stand in his sight? Because he comes like a refiner's fire, a fuller's herb, and he will sit refining and cleansing. These two comings are also referred to by Paul in writing to Titus. 
the grace of God the Savior has appeared to all men, instructing us to put aside impiety and worldly desires and live temperately, uprightly, and righteously in this present age, waiting for the joyful hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice how he speaks of a first coming for which he gives thanks, and a second, the one we still await. That is why the faith we possess has been handed on to you in these words. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Our Lord Jesus Christ will therefore come from heaven. He will come at the end of the world in glory at the last day. For there will be an end to this world, and the created world will be made new. That reading comes from a catechetical instruction by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. And I think that this is something that is important for us to realize, is that it's not just an end of the world as in destruction. Rather, it's to make way for new creation. And we see that there at the end as well of, of that reading where he says, uh, there will be an end to this world, and the created world will be made new. We see it again in the book of Revelation where Christ says, Behold, I make all things new. And so here we, we recognize that the end is coming, but we do so with expectant hope, just as we are waiting for Christmas with expectant hope, remembering the Incarnation. So too, we can look to the end of all days with expectancy, with hope, that what's coming is beyond better than what we have now. There's this dichotomy because we're called to be content with uh, with the world as we see it, right? Paul says, I've learned in all situations to be content. I know how to be hungry, how to be well-fed. I know how to live in plenty and how to live in lack. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And yet, even there as we are learning to be content with all that surrounds us and whatever we receive from the hand of the Lord as provision, we also recognize that there is another day coming. Uh, And so we continue to have a dissatisfaction with the things that we are faced with, that we prefer, as Paul would say in another place, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain, that there is something that's coming up. Not that we rush headlong and hasten toward death, but we don't fear death. We don't fear the end. And holding those things in front of our eyes, we prepare ourselves by holding to those things that are eternal rather than those things that are before us that pass away. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's such a privilege. Join me over on social media, the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. I'd love to hear what you think. Today's show was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to outside the walls.com. Click the Patreon link and join their numbers until next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.